0: Hello, hi, Mzanzi, and welcome back to the Health for Mzanzi podcast, episode 90, proudly brought to you by Health for Mzanzi. I'm your host, Joe, and I'm excited to walk this health and wellness journey with you. Remember, nothing is of limits. Mom mother, ma, mama, mum. There are so many different names that we call our mothers and even more definitions that we can add to the term motherhood. Today, I will be chatting to Julie Mentor, who is the leader of Embrace, a national movement for supported and empowered motherhood in South Africa. Embrace is incubated within DG Mari Trust. Julie is passionate about building and supporting networks and safe spaces where mothers and mother supporters can gather and engage in honest, transformative conversations about motherhood in South Africa. I say, let's talk all things motherhood. Julie, how are you doing? I'm So well, Joanne. Thanks so much for having me on today. Thank you for joining us. And I look so forward into unpacking all things motherhood. It's quite a layered term, and it means so much to many different people. So I think absolutely, yeah. How can we define the term motherhood? I think
1: motherhood is so beautifully nuanced and complex. It's the intersection of the bitter and the sweet, the vulnerable and the strong, and brave and courageous. You know, I mean, if we're talking take about motherhood, I think it's the collective social identity of mothers. Um. And I think in South Africa, we think of like, are you a part of motherhood? You might've seen people wearing t-shirts with like, you know, I'm a member of the motherhood. And I think in South Africa, we have such a beautifully nuanced understanding of that term because motherhood comes to people in so many different ways. So you have biological motherhood in the way that many of us would understand it. Then you have people who come to motherhood through adoption, through foster care, through the safety care of babies. And then you have this concept of social motherhood, you know, and we know that people mother their sisters, children, children in the community, mothers mothering each other, caring for each other, older mothers, caring for younger mothers, even if there's no biological or family connection. Mm. And I think that is what makes motherhood so beautiful is that there is something relatable about this this burden that we carry this sort of caring for people for whom we feel responsible for whether they're biologically related to us or not and i think it brings the nurturing and the strong the strength the brave all together but it could look like many different things i think the motherhood that i'm really excited about is the motherhood that is expansive enough for all of the definitions to fall under it you know you don't Mm -hmm. want You know, Mothers can be such a welcoming, quote-unquote, club to be a part of, but often mothers can also be unintentionally unwelcoming to mothers who don't fit the same mold of mothering that they ascribe to. That's something that we also, as mothers, have the power to shift, to say, you know, okay, so yes, I had my child biologically, you came to motherhood through adoption, you came to motherhood through caring for your brother's children, or whatever it is like we're all kind of going through this together and so hopefully the term motherhood is inclusive enough for all of us and it should be
0: Julie like you just said now you know it's all these different avenues and Mm. I would like to say that all these avenues are valid what you mentioned about sometimes it can be seen as you know this burden to carry I would like Mm. to think of it as a two-edged sword right so then you Mm -hmm. have you know the burden but on the other end the blessing as well Mm, the privilege Mm. exactly speaking of which if you look at roles and responsibilities what gets Mm. taken up by mothers i I mean looking at my own mother i'm not a mother yet Mm. it's a lot Mm. but what roles and responsibilities gets taken up
1: particular list of roles and responsibilities would look different from one home to the next and i think Mm. again in a country as beautifully diverse and as complicated if i'm honest as south africa is no two mothers will mother the same and i think that's why i speak about this umbrella term of motherhood being just so important that we kind of make sure that we're looking at an expansive definition rather than trying to make the circle smaller because people do mother differently would you say
0: that that motherhood is influenced by environment culture like the term motherhood will be dependent on that
1: i think so In one sense, if you look at mothers around the world, if you had to bring a collection of mothers around the world, there would be many experiences of motherhood that would be totally relatable, right? If you've ever cared for a child, especially in those first five years or, you know, whatever the time period is, depending on your own family experience, you know what it's like not to sleep through the night. You know what it's like being anxious as you're kind of watching your child with an illness and wondering how serious it is and if you've done enough, what it's like to kind of have to relinquish over the control Mm -hmm. as they become more mobile and more independent and you're sort of celebrating that. But also the fear is real. I think those sort of experiences of motherhood are universal, Mm -hmm. which is why it's such a powerful community to be a part of because mothers can relate to other mothers regardless of, you know, whether they speak the same language, uh, whether they come from the same. Exactly. It transverses all of those kinds of things and creates this commonality that's really powerful in, in a time and age where, you know, it's so easy to become divisive over things. So in that sense, I think motherhood is incredibly uniting. And we talk about this, again, this sort of collective, this social identity of motherhood that's so powerful. And it means that two mothers, however they came to motherhood, can sit side by side and they will be able to find some common ground between them. But I think when it comes to the sort of burden and care that different mothers will face different challenges in that regard, all valid, but there are differences depending on how your community sees your roles and responsibilities. What sort of falls on the head of a mother might look slightly different from one community to the next. And obviously what we're trying to work towards is communities coming around and supporting mothers to thrive. Because I think. As I said, there are their themes of motherhood, the nurturing, the caring for children. I think mothers do that around the world. But for many mothers and many mothers living in South Africa, that that's the joy, privilege, and burden of that rests quite significantly on themselves and isn't always shared as much. And that can be really, really hard. Um, it's one of those things where it's incredibly, it's a complex issue. So many factors, external and also your internal beliefs. You know, I think, for many mothers, they feel that this is my responsibility to do the hands-on 24-7 parenting in the early years. Another mother might not feel that. She might feel that Mm. we've designed it in our family that my mother and father and my aunts are going to help me raise this child. And so I am able to have a little bit more freedom outside of the home. And those kinds of decisions are influenced by both circumstance, but also sometimes individual belief. And I think, again, it's easy to fall into the trap of sort of saying that there's one right way and one wrong way to do it. And I don't think it's as simple as that. I think we need to take the cue from the mother themselves. So you could have a mother who's very happy with that dynamic of wanting to be home with their children, perhaps in a sort of stay-at-home mother capacity for the first few years. And that is something they've chosen and they see it as a privilege. And then you could have another mother who's doing performing the same care work. She's also at home with her children, but it wasn't her choice. There are circumstances that have led to that being the case. Maybe she would love to be able to seek a job outside the home. Maybe her family frowns upon that, or perhaps she's unable to find employment, or she feels quite unsupported and trapped in her home. Another mother might find it a place of great joy. So again, we mustn't oversimplify. I think we must take the lead from how mothers are expressing how they're made to feel Mm. in these moments of motherhood as they journey through. And it's not just the early years. I mean, I think it's right through the journey. And so I think one of the core tenets of what we say as as our uh, movement embrace is that, you know, we need to listen to mothers. We can't be oversimplified in our prescription of this is what mothers need. Every mother needs X. Every mother needs Y. Or every mother wants X or wants Y. It's just not that simple. But mothers, they do know, you know, sometimes it takes a bit of time and a bit of really deep listening to build up the trust that they will be heard. But from our experience, when we put these questions out, what does support look like for you? What do you wish would be a resource that would be really helpful for you right now? Mothers are able to tell us because they're at the kind of the call face of caring for their children. We often forget to ask. I think that's the real truth is that we make assumptions about what we think women mothers need without ever actually sitting and asking them. And I think that's been one of the biggest privileges of the work that we get to do is when we ask mothers they come up with just the most beautifully nuanced sort of solutions that sometimes we ask, and not our organization, but society asks because they're doing the lip service of sort of, you know, ticking the box of asking and they're not listening. And I think that's incredibly frustrating. And so ultimately, as a society, if we say we want to be a society that cares for mothers and wants to support them to thrive in their motherhood, then we need to listen.
0: And then we need to have our responses shaped by what we've heard. Very important to listen to that. And this might be a totally different part of the conversation or discussion, but when motherhood also gets intertwined with with fatherhood, when the mother is Mm. sort of forced to take on her role, but also the role of the father. And I think Mm. that's a totally different conversation. You just mentioned so many options about how different roles and responsibilities can look like and how Mm. complex that actually is. There's no blanket term. But now, when do these roles and responsibilities become problematic for the mother?
1: I think they become problematic for the mother when she tells you they become problematic. Again, so as I said, for me, as just to bring it very personal, as a mother, you know, I have two children whom I absolutely adore mothering. And I also enjoy being able to work outside of the home and get to do the work that I do with and raise. If I had to potentially look at a mother who is at home full time, I might be tempted from my point of view to think, my goodness. Like, does she have opportunities? Is she doing enough to find fulfillment outside of her children? And I think that that, whilst the assumption might be well-intended, it can be really an unwelcome assumption, in fact, quite harmful, because that mother might be sitting there looking at me in the same way going, oh my goodness, this poor woman has to choose between being with her children and being at work. You know, as I said, there's so many responsibilities and burdens. I think when it becomes problematic more generally, is when there are requests on mothers to provide care, but not resources available to make it happen. So for example, if you're pregnant, we want you to have, you know, six to eight antenatal appointments. That's sort of what the Department of Health says that that every mother should have. You know, when you find out you're pregnant, when you deliver your baby, you're doing these six to eight antenatal appointments. Sometimes it's more depending on high risk cases. But then you have a mother who is in a community where the clinic is far away. She is unemployed. She does not have the financial resources in order to get to the clinic for all these appointments. And when she's able to come, she's then shamed. Why didn't you come earlier? You missed your last appointment. How could you? When we as society have not created an enabling environment, understanding the socioeconomic hardships that people face, we put requests upon mothers and then no actual support on how to do it. The other thing is, you know, the conversation around healthy eating during pregnancy and when you're sort of postpartum and breastfeeding your baby, you know, you see all these kind of posters, eat your five servings of fresh fruit and vegetables a day. Everyone's sort of seen the sort of stereotypical plate mapping of what a healthy meal looks like. And yet we know that there is a large percentage of mothers who are living below the food poverty line in South Africa, unable to actually make that a reality. So in effect, yes, knowledge is power, but knowledge that's unsupported with actual resource actually just shames women um, and doesn't actually help them. I think we need to be really careful that any of us working in development, working in government, working in civil society, working in the private sector, what we think is a good pro-mother message. Are we just paying lip service, putting out yeah. a message that we can't support? Or are we actually looking at how do we create an enabling environment for mothers to take that up? You know, we're the first to shout at a mother in the early phases of sort of postpartum experience after having her baby. She has an episode of like mental psychosis and harms her child, right? I'm sure you've seen the articles of a mother who either neglects or yeah. quote-unquote harms her baby and yeah. it's like you know the comment section is she must be burnt at the stake right and i understand where a lot of that anger comes they, from. yeah there's, there's so no much one. judgment but when you look at what it looks like to actually access mental health support again trying to get to the clinic on time and to receive antenatal care you struggle with your mental health you know there's a complex layer there and not everyone is receiving the support they need And then, you know, if you know that you're struggling, where do you turn? Where do mothers turn to actually seek support? It's very easy to say, go back to the clinic. But let me paint a picture that I heard from a mother and not that long ago we were talking, you know, she was struggling. She knew she was having what she deemed to be postpartum depression. So feel like, you know, really those low feelings of struggling to be motivated after having her baby. But she also had a really traumatic birth experience where she was treated incredibly poorly by the healthcare providers who were meant to be care- supportive for her. So when she was eight weeks postpartum, so eight weeks after having her baby, a well-meaning friend was like, you know, go back to the clinic for help. But she didn't want to because the clinic was such a place of fear for her. Wow. Understandably so, you know, she'd come out being shouted at. She had had very traumatic birth, had needed stitches that were not stitched up as well as they needed to be. And so she did not want to go back and we didn't create an enabling environment. Sometimes we don't always think about the complexity of what we're actually asking of mothers. We think our solutions are simple. You know, all you need to do is go to the clinic. They will help you. I'm not saying that that healthcare providers and healthcare facilities don't want to help. I really do believe they do. But I think that there's a lot of, again, not listening and lack of awareness around how important it is that mothers feel safe and secure and like they're able to trust people providing care for them. If we don't have that, then no matter how good your infrastructure of support is, mothers will not feel unable to use it. There's a disconnect. And in some cases, there are actual real physical barriers, like trying to seek support when you've got a baby screaming at home Or trying to decide, do I use the last sort of 20 Rand that I have in my house for some food for our family or for the taxi fare to go and get
0: the help I need?
1: And those are the trade-offs that mothers are making every single day that I think we'll need to be more sensitized to.
0: It's so unfair to be in that position now you have to choose. These are the only options I have. And just while you were talking, I was reminded of this case. It was more in the early 2000s. And I don't know if you've Mm. heard of the Ellen Paki's story. Mm. It was a very clear example of how someone was just let down by the system where she went to these so-called public services asking for help. And there was no arm that was given to Mm. her. There was no ear that was lent to her. And Mm. at the end of the day, we know what happened in that story, right? She murdered her son. But in her case, she felt that that was her only outcome for this. You know, no one else is helping her. Her son is addicted on drugs. Yeah. He's being so violent towards her. He's putting her life in danger. And I mean, she knew it wasn't her son. It's actually the drugs doing this to her son. Very sad story, but at the end of the day, I think there was also a sort of a judgment to this mother, like, how could you do this? You, you're such mm-hmm. a monster. Dating back, I'm not saying what you did was right. But looking at all the avenues she tried and also, again, seeing the disconnect between what is out there and so far mm-hmm. removed, she cannot access mental care. She cannot access help for a son. She cannot access help for herself. It feels like such an unfair story for yes. someone. of
1: And I think, Jan, one of the other challenges is we need to be listening to mothers. But I also wonder as a society, if we're really incentivized to do this. If we think about the kind of vision of what motherhood looks like, I always say, you know, we've sort of sold the like pink fluffy mother's day card, very romantic, that this is what, you know, mothers look like all serene and serene holding their baby bump. And of course, we're always assuming that everyone has chosen to take the path of motherhood. We know in South Africa with the gender-based violence that we have in this country, that that is absolutely not the case. So, you've got the serene woman, and then she kind of gives birth, and it's this beautiful baby, and she's smiling, and the baby immediately latches to the breast, and no problems. And we have quite a a strong sort of moral and moralistic sort of view of mothers and motherhood. You know, it's very serene and very beautiful. And I'm not saying again, but don't exist. But I think there is this other side that is complex and gritty because motherhood is a human experience, and humans are complex and gritty and messy. And I think it's easier if we see motherhood and we put motherhood in a box, it's easier to close our eyes to all the things that are outside of the box that that really do impact the human experience of motherhood. And again, you know, that's the marketing message that is sold to us. This is what beautiful motherhood is. And until we're willing to like break the sides down of the box and really have a look at it, we're going to struggle to be motivated to come up with the solutions that mothers actually need because we're just not willing to see it. And society has made it convenient for us not to actually see it. Also, mothers are very much linked to their children. You're a mother because you have a child, right? In whatever way you have a child, that's why. And sometimes mothers get lost in the motherhood conversation. In fact, I would say often mothers get lost in the motherhood conversation. The conversation around care and support is intrinsically linked to the good outcomes for children you know we're looking for how do we make sure that you know babies are born so they're you know healthy in pregnancy they're growing optimally the fetuses are growing optimally and then there's a good birth and baby's good weight and then baby thrives and is breastfed and all these sort of things and we acknowledge because we know that we haven't got sort of artificial intelligence that's allowed for it to be any other way yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, that we have to. Oh goodness, we've got this other person now that we've got to deal with because we can't personally like yeah. see to the well-being of the child ourselves. So we better make sure that the mother is okay. And again, I, I'm making that. I mean, it sounds a bit ridiculous as I said. I am pushing the point a bit, but I think the reality is, is that everything that we've learned through our work is that mothers are drowned out in the conversation around good child outcomes. And we need to be able to see mothers that you don't just age out of needing care and support simply because you're no longer a child and you are, you know, you've stepped into this adult journey of motherhood. If you are an adult, the need for care and support is ongoing. And the motherhood journey
0: for the mother is also unique as the childhood journey for the child is unique. Definitely. I actually wanted to ask, you now. You know when you're making that example, is the child healthy, is the child well, Mm -hmm. where's the mother in all of this? I do not think It's an exaggerated point that you highlighted. I do think that's the last question. We're like, okay, so how's the mother? Where's the mother? (laughs) Like after everything. Actually leads me to this, you know, we always talk about the child that needs the village, you know, to Mm -hmm. ensure that the child is well taken care of, there's support, there's help, there's assistance. But we've kind of confirmed that mothers need the village as well. They need that support. They need that help. Who are these role players in this village of support that we talk about for mothers?
1: It starts with you and me. For anyone listening, sometimes it's easy to start mapping in your mind a more formal list, you know, looking at government departments, looking at places of work, looking at faith-based communities, and all of those are role players. It's absolutely true. But I think it's also about, if you're listening to this, no doubt you are connected to other mothers and and you probably know a few who are going through the early starts of the motherhood journey where really you're experiencing a particular level of vulnerability that requires support. So I always just say, you know, stop, take a few minutes, you know, pause this if you're listening to it and think about all the people you know who have had babies in the last three years. That is where you start. How do you show up for them? It could start with if you've got someone who is pregnant in your life at the moment, you know, thinking about asking them, just sending them a WhatsApp, how are you doing? how are you doing they might like you know what do you need how can i show up for you you know if you do things like baby showers making a concerted effort not to put all the attention on the needs for the new baby but what could that mom need is it something special specifically for her when you go to see her after she's had a baby don't immediately go straight to like wanting to grab the baby out of her arms ask her first you know congratulate her and ask her how she's doing and for everyone listening, we all play multiple roles, right? You might be listening and it might be your daughter who's having a baby. So you're both a person in her life and you're a grandmother to the child. You could also be a healthcare provider with multiple hats. We all have multiple identities in this space, but it does start with just kind of a considered effort. Who are the mothers? Where are the mothers? And what do they need? And
0: how do I kind of ask them and then take the time to listen? Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Health for MZANZY podcast. For more on our motherhood chat, check out healthwormzanzy.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical jam or just curious about some health and wellness trends, you can send an email to hello at or send a WhatsApp to 076 132 0454. Yeah, we don't blue tick. So there you have it, gals and guys. Just like Superman wears an S on his chest, I'm so sure mothers should wear an M on theirs. They are the cornerstones and champions of our families and communities. So let's embrace them. Until next time, keep well and stay healthy. Signing out, your girl Joe.